Hello? Okay, everybody, sit down and stop talking now. That's enough. All right. Bottoms in the seat. Um, so next, it's my pleasure to introduce a young lady to you who I've known for all of her life. And um, she's in our youth group, and I've had the chance to be her leader for about three years now. And you might have recognized her from the announcements. This is Gabby Vallejo. <laughs> and she's just going to share with you guys um, what ZG, what the youth group uh, means to her. Gabby. All right. Well, I'm going to start out by saying that ZG is absolutely amazing. No matter how hard your week has been or where you stand with God, they're always there to mend your worries and answer any questions that may cross your mind. It's not just somewhere to make new friends. It's also a place of unity, acceptance, and walking down the path of God. We all have different backgrounds and different attitudes, but there's one strong thing that holds us together and makes unity between us, and that's the belief in God. In how do you say it? Ecclesiastes 4, <laughs> 4, 9 through 12. It explains that two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friends can help him up, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, Two can defend themselves, but a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Within this, ZG is recognized. We don't allow God's children to be alone, but instead we put our face together in unity and overcome any worries that may lie ahead. With the help of God, no obstacle can stand in our way. And with the help of our fellow youth, we are able to accomplish many great things. The need and want to dive deeper into God's word creates a strong withhold of everyone in our group. If one falls, we all catch them and build them back up. Therefore, no one man is left behind. The barrier of different, of different worlds is broken, and that allows us to lay trust in our, in our group and God to help us through the struggles, and with that, we all make it through together. We may be young, but the love of God burning through our hearts allows us to do many great things. ZG is a wonderful place to build you up and keep you walking, but without God, we would have nothing we would be nothing but worn out teenagers. Hi, uh, this is Tyler. He's been going to ZG for about three months. And I've known him for about four. Um, <laughs> when uh, I got asked to talk about him, I didn't really know what to say except for the fact that uh, He's definitely not only an encouragement, but a challenge. Um, Tyler is uh, <laughs> not, not in that way, but um, <laughs> like Tyler, Tyler has a, uh, a very unmatched zeal. Um, ever since the day I met him, he's uh, very, very willing to sacrifice whatever he has to to uh, be obedient to God's word. So um, that being said, Well, um, I'm here today to share my testimony with you guys, so um, I thank you guys for giving me this opportunity, and uh, I'll start off. So, 
I don't know. When I was younger, um, I hear a lot of testimonies and people say that, you know, I was raised in the church and I've been going here all my life and I had to rededicate myself to Christ after a while and find my own faith. But me, when I was younger, I was never around a church at all. The last place you would find me on Sunday would be where I'm at now. I'd usually be watching football or doing something dumb with my friends. And um, um, yeah, growing up, like I said, I was never really in the church at all. I had a lot of bad influences around me. And um, my mom, she uh, wasn't really there, you know, like, not a, I don't really look at it as a bad thing anymore because um, God, like, chose everything on my path so I could be here now. So that probably only strengthens me. But as I got older, um, I started, like, going to different places. I live with my dad a lot. And we moved from place to place. And um, I don't know. I just started to think, like, if there's a God out there, you know, why, why don't I have a family to live with? Why, like, do I not live with my mom? You know, why do other people get to have mom and dad and I don't get to have that? And I started to think, you know, like, if God loves me, you know, why is he doing this to me? And I started to question, you know. And this is before, and I still question if God even existed in the first place. And um, I, the first time I went to church, I went to a Baptist church in Natomas. And um, I, I, when I went there, I don't know, I, did, I wanted to leave, but at the same time, something intrigued me. Something kept pulling me back to stay there. And I didn't know what that was at the time, but I realize now that that was the presence of God in my life. And um, the, after I got done, I, would, I mean, I was just respectful. I stood up for all the songs, you know, and um, I was the only white person there, but that's okay. They were like... <laughs> <laughs> They said, they said, God brings in all colors and shapes today, and as soon as I walked in, so. <laughs> That's okay, though. That's okay with me, so I felt right at home there. <laughs> but um, after that, the, uh, the pastor told me, he said, Tyler, God's going to do great things with you. And I sort of just blew it off and was like, yeah, you know, probably words of encouragement, probably want me to come back, which is good. I didn't really think much of it then, you know. But um, I moved to South Sacramento with my aunt. Me and my dad went our separate ways, um, and so... I started living with her, and I went to McClatchy and met a bunch of cool friends there, and I met this guy named Emmett Bradshaw. Maybe you guys know who he is. And um, I was in the Young Life program there. Um, he, he brought me into Young Life, the sweater I'm wearing, Young Life right here. And uh, so I ended up going to summer camp this summer, and um, at the end of summer camp, they always have this 15 minutes of silence out at Woodleaf, and you get to lie down on the grass there, and the stars are beautiful outside, and you get to look up. And they just ask you, just, if God's real, you know, ask him to show you a sign or show some way that he exists. And I asked that very thing, and he gave me the answer. It was this real crazy thing that happened to me. As I was laying down, I was looking at the stars and stuff. And, you know, um, there's not a lot of city lights, so I could see everything perfectly. And I was looking at this one star, and I was looking there, and then for some reason it felt like it started to get closer to me. And all this is really weird what's going on. And then it started blacking up over here and blacking out over here. Started tripping out a little bit, looking around to see if anybody else was there. Like, I don't know what was going on. And... <laughs> And then um, I checked my heart, and my heart was beating like I was running like 45 miles an hour, you know, like something crazy was going on. I didn't know what to do. And then I realized, because I asked God, I was like, if you exist, show me a sign, you know? And then that was that sign for me. And um, ever since then, you know, I've just been trying to live my life for God the best way I can and give sacrifices and stuff, because without him, like, I wouldn't be nothing and stuff. And like I told you guys before, I didn't have it, like, good coming up, but I'm glad that I had to do that, because I feel like I'm a stronger person now. And I have all of these beautiful people here to help me with my walk and stuff, so that's good. And um, I don't want to make my testimony too fast, but I pretty much ran and said all the words, so uh, I'm kind of done. But uh, <laughs> I appreciate you guys giving me this time, and uh, I just hope the rest of this day goes well. All On, sorry. Um, I 
Good morning. Uh, I hope that you guys have uh, had a blessed morning so far by the youth this morning. Um, but we want to spend a little bit of time in the Word before we uh, end service today. So um, I have an illustration. This is the wrong notebook. I actually um, I had a beautifully like eloquent, profound sermon in my other book, but this one's all right, so we'll do this one. I'm just kidding. This is the one I wrote. <laughs> um, I have kind of an illustration for you guys before we get started. If that, it's kind of like a crowd participation thing, though. Is that all right? Okay, what I need is we have four sections today instead of two, so I need that back, right, my right, your left section over there, that corner. I need everybody to raise their hand, your right hand or your left hand, up to you, but not both, one, one or the other. This section right here, I need you guys to all cross your legs, some like your ankles or over your knee or something like that. Um, this group, if you guys could like fold your hands and just kind of put them in your lap, and you guys right here in the front, if you could... Um, Kind of just like cross your arms like this. You guys keep your hands up. Come on, I see hands are going down. <clears throat> so now go ahead and kind of look around, look around the room and see what's going on here. This has absolutely nothing to do with my sermon. I just want to get your attention. <laughs> do I have all your attention? Perfect. Um, all right, so I'm just going to pray before we get started here. Father God, we thank you for the... Uh, for the time you've given us this morning, for this opportunity, God, as a youth group, as Christians, as Americans, as human beings, just to come here this morning and reflect on you, to give you our worship, God, to give you our thanks, to celebrate the exciting things that you're doing in our lives, and the opportunity you've given us to open your word and learn more about who you are and who you are in our lives. God, I pray that through this morning, through the teaching that we're going to have, God, from you, that you would speak to each and every person in here, young and old, God, no matter where they are in their lives, God, that you would speak something real and powerful into their lives. We ask that you would just continue to move this morning, and we just continue to praise you and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we get started today, I wanted to give you a brief introduction to a really cool guy, and his name was Paul. So Paul was a Pharisee uh, during around the time of Jesus, and Pharisees were kind of like the head honchos of the church. They were the people who knew the most, who did the most. They were like, when you walked around and you saw the Pharisees, they were, um, they were the most highly respected. They knew the most. Their whole lives were devoted to teaching and to learning and things like that. They were trying to live life by a certain way, and there's a lot of times in the Gospels where you see Jesus interact with the Pharisees, and they were so intense with their studies of the scripture and things like that. They wanted to know it so well that when Jesus walked and interacted with them, he kind of had to change their way of thinking a few times. So Paul was one of those Pharisees, and um, he hated Christianity um, when it first, when Christianity first existed. And um, different things like he was present at the um, stoning of Stephen, which was the first Christian martyr, and we know he was there. Um, but there was a reason that Paul hated Christianity, and that was because he was a Pharisee. And so he believed and devoted his entire, and his entire life to a certain way of thinking, which was that to earn salvation or to, pre, or to be right with God, what you would have to do is you would have to put a, a yoke on. A yoke is like when you had ox who would pull like a cart. They would put this wooden bar over their head called a yoke. So he'd be like, you have to put on your yoke. And then you have to kind of walk, and as you, life kind of throws stuff on you, and as you walk, 
You kind of have to keep going and push yourself and do all this stuff and prove yourself worthy to God. That's kind of what the Pharisees' way of thinking was, that you have to do all these things, you have to follow the law, you have to fit into all these different categories, and if you do all of those things, then you will earn salvation or you'll earn your right standing with God. That's kind of real quick of what two-minute version of the history of Pharisees and Paul and things like that, but that's kind of what they thought. And we're going to go and get into a passage where Paul preaches a sermon. That's not the right passage. Um, and it's just it's interesting to know where he came from, which led to where he is today. So the question that we want to answer is, why is that way of thinking wrong? It sounds kind of noble to say that you have to put on your yoke, you just have to kind of get things done, do all this, do this, do that, and then you'll be all good. But there's a reason that that is wrong. There's a reason that Paul was no longer a Pharisee and became, and he went and started preaching the exact opposite. So we're going to get into that. The passage I have for you this morning is Acts 17, 16 through 34. It's behind you if you guys want to turn there and follow along. Acts 17, starting at verse 16. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took hold of him and brought him to the Arapages, saying, May we know that this new teaching is, is that you are presenting. Whoa, 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 sorry. May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that you are in every way very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives, man, gives all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art or imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, who, by man whom he, he has appointed, and of this has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom were there were Dionysius, the Aeropagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. 
We're going to focus on one part of this passage, but before we get there, I wanted to kind of give an outline or point out some of the things that Paul does in this passage. Starting right at the beginning, when he gets to Athens, this, this is a city that has idols all over the place, different worship, diff- different things they worship, different temples, things like that. And when he got there, it says that Paul, when Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked because he was in the city of idols. So that's kind of the first thing. Before anything happens, before he starts doing anything, it bothered him. He was in this city that worshipped all these different things that weren't God, and that's his surrounding. It provoked him, and it was enough for him to start to do something about it. But that was the first thing. He was provoked by the city that he was in. The next thing that we see by Paul is that he's consistent and available. It says that every day he was in the synagogue. Where the people were, they were talking with them. They wanted to know. In this city, they were, they were people who did nothing but wanting to hear about something new. So the religious people, right, they were in the synagogue. So he would go there. He would talk about Christ. He would talk about all this stuff. And so he was in there every day in the synagogue talking about these things. When he wasn't in the synagogue, he was in the marketplace or the town square. And that's where it wasn't just religious people, but anybody would come to the town square. And they would just talk about different philosophies or beliefs or or things like that. So Paul would go there, and it says that he was there for anyone who would listen. So he goes to the synagogue. He talks to people who knows that they have something here. They're already in the synagogue there. They want to know more. And he's in the marketplace where he's not guaranteed if anyone's going to be there or if anyone will listen to him. But he's there for whoever's there. So he's in the marketplace, in the square. He's in the synagogue, and he's available consistently. Thirdly, he openly shares the gospel. From verse 22 through the end, Paul gives a great summary of the gospel. Talks about all these things. God is the creator. We're all sinful. He sent Jesus. Jesus is going to judge the world righteously. And he, God has proven him to be the one that's going to judge because he died and raised him from the dead. He lists this whole thing of the gospel right there. And he's not afraid to hold that back. When people want to know what he's talking about, He gives it freely, so he shares the gospel. Fourthly, he's relevant. And a lot of people would would say that the church doesn't need to be relevant uh, because that kind of has this connotation that if you're more relevant, you lose more of the impact or you lose more of the substance. But Paul, as we've already seen, gives the gospel so plainly, but he does so in such a way where, one, he knows his audience and he knows how to communicate with them because he quotes their own people. He says, some of your poets have said, for we are his offspring. So he's not just saying, hey, come to me, listen to what I have to say or what I know or what I know. He's saying, where you guys are at right now, what you guys are thinking, using that to then preach the gospel. He uses their idols that say to an unknown God, he says, what you guys don't know, let me tell you about that. So he's not trying to come from this distant thing. He's trying to be interwoven into their culture, using what they're saying, using what they believe to then preach the gospel to them. Lastly, as we see at the end of this passage, not everyone responded. This wasn't this big revival where afterwards there was crying and wailing and everyone became Christians and everybody just walked around hand in hand, skipping along. I don't know if that ever happened, but it might have. Um, (laughs) In this, it says that when they heard of the resurrection... Some mocked, but others said, we'll hear you again about this. So he says that some believed and some didn't. Paul was prepared for that. He knew that was going to happen. He knew that he wasn't going to be well-received by everybody. 
but he spoke anyway, and he said what he had to say. So that's kind of just a quick sample of, of this passage, but I want to zero in on one part here. So we're going to go back and spend the rest of our time in verses 24 and 25. I'm going to read those again. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. This statement that Paul makes now is exactly the reason at one point why he hated Christianity. Because God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. That's completely opposite to what he thought of when he was a Pharisee. He thought, I have to serve. I have to do this. If I do this, if I follow the law, if I do that, then I will be right with God. Which he's saying the complete opposite thing now later. God is not served by human hands because God doesn't need anything. So this statement is good news and it's bad news depending on where you are. If you're a Pharisee and you're confident and self-sufficient and you think that you and your independence can do something for God, you can further his work and that you don't need him to do that, this is bad news. (laughs) This is shattering. This is what crushed someone like Paul when he was a Pharisee. It crushes that mentality that you are strong enough that you can do things, that you can make contributions that are worthy of your own accord. So that is the kind of added, that's the kind of response that is what crushed Paul and his Phariseeism and led to where Paul is today. On the other hand, this is great news. For those of us at this time and this morning who feel weak, who feel hopeless or sinful, this is great news because God doesn't ask you to prove yourself worthy. Rather, he asks that you let him serve you. If you feel desperate or hopeless when you think about standing before an infinitely righteous God, This is good news because if God doesn't ask you to be anything, if God doesn't need you, then maybe God is willing to be what you need. We're focusing a lot on these two verses, so we might think, okay, maybe we're taking this a lot of proportion. Maybe he's not saying all of that, but let's hear what Jesus has to say about that. If you guys want to turn with me, it's just one verse, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. In this verse, Jesus states plainly why he came, what his purpose is. And see how this uh, interacts with what we're saying. Jesus says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' purpose in coming, Jesus as the Son of God, purpose to coming to earth wasn't to recruit people wasn't to find people and say, hey, I need the truth to be told, so I'm going to find people who are worthy enough to follow me. It was quite the opposite. He said, I came to serve you because you're the ones who need this. I don't need you, which sounds kind of offensive at first, but if you think about it a little longer, pretty satisfying. 
But why do we need him? And it says this right here in this verse in Mark, why we need him. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what we need him for. Above anything else that we need or want, all these things that the Pharisees talked about, about learning so much or doing so much or wanting to live a certain way or be obedient, above anything like that, what we need is someone to die for us. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It also says that the wages of sin is death. That's pretty intense. All have sinned. Sin leads to death. Bad news. In honesty, we would say that we have offended or neglected God. If we really thought about how we lived our life, the decisions that we've made, what we've done, we would see times in our life or our entire life where what we have tried to do offends God or we just don't think much about him at all and we neglect him. And God isn't first in our life and at times not even second or third or fourth or whatever. But that's the good news because God knows that. He expects that. That's why he sent Jesus because we are unworthy to prove ourselves to him. We can't do it. If we think about that kind of lifestyle, all those things, that time where our lives have been an offense to God or we just haven't thought about God at all, who are we to say that we are worthy enough to do anything for him? But in that, he comes and he asks to serve us. So what this leads to is for Paul, as a Pharisee, these ideas changed how we thought, changed his entire way of living, his way of thinking. So if we want to call ourselves Christians, what does that mean? How do we respond to this, this passage where it says that Christ came not to be, to be served, but to serve? How does that interact with us if we're Christians, what Christ did? So really the question is, what does it mean to be a Christian? John Piper was asked that question. I want to read you his response to that. Being a Christian means getting up in the morning and saying in your heart, Jesus, you are my savior, my king, my friend, my treasure, my hope, my joy, my guide, my protection, my wisdom, my advocate, and my strength. I need you, I love you, and I trust you to be all that for me today. I know you have given me muscles and a mind and a will. I know you intend for me to use them all in doing things that are just and loving and God-honoring. But you have shown me that without you, my will is rebellious, my mind is darkened, and my muscles obey the rebel will and the darkened mind. And so, Lord Jesus, I need you every day. Work for me today. Not because I deserve it, but because you paid my ransom. Serve me today to subdue my will so that I will love you. So, no, sorry. So that I will love what you love and find joy in doing your will. To bring light to my mind so that I will think the truth and see you for who you are. Infinitely valuable and beautiful. And so, may my body magnify you whether in life 
or in death. The good news in this passage is that Jesus doesn't call us to prove ourselves. He doesn't call us to do things that would make ourselves seem worthy, but rather he asks you to come to him in whatever condition you are. Whatever sin, whatever brokenness we have, he asks you to come in that state. And before he would ever ask you to do anything, he would want to do something for you. He would want to serve you and be the Lord of your life. I don't know how many times you guys have heard that, that you need God, that all have sinned, sin leads to death, so we need something to get rid of that sin. That's what Jesus did. That's what his life was came to serve and be a ransom for us all. If you've heard that twice or 200 times, it's just as true. And we should not get up any morning and think that we don't need that. I'm gonna ask the uh, worship to come up in a moment, but I wanna read some final verses of encouragement that coincide with, with what we're talking about this morning. In Matthew, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And Isaiah says, The yoke of faith and obedience are easy and light, because even when he puts it on us, he carries it. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. That's where I want to leave us with this morning. Remembering this. That God not served by us. He doesn't need anything from us. But we need a lot from him. And he's willing to give it. If your burden is heavy, if that yoke you've been carrying around is too heavy, he wants to take that burden away. His burden is light. Pray with me. Father God, I don't know the hearts and the minds and the lives of each person in this room, but God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak this morning. God, that to those who are burdened, their lives, their troubles are weighing heavy on them. God, that they would be encouraged of these scriptures that say your burden is light. That you're not asking us to prove ourselves because we can't. But rather you meet us and serve us. 
But God, I pray that we would seek you out. That we would let go of who we are, of what we are, of what our desires and wants are, and let you serve us. Let you be there for us. God, that we would not choose the route that is more attractive, but the burden is heavier. Rather, that we would find our hope completion in you. Father God, again, we thank you for all that you've done this morning, for everything that you've spoken to us. God, we ask that it would be real in our lives, that the encouragement or the challenge that was brought forth today would not just be words, but that it would affect our lives, that it would change our way of thinking. As Paul was changed in his way of thinking as a Pharisee, and who he was when he was preaching or writing or encouraging, God, we pray for that transformation wherever we are. If we've gone on thinking that we're so important or we can do so much on our own, God, I pray that you would humble us. If we've been walking along feeling crushed, feeling hopeless, feeling desperate, like our sin is just too much for us to possibly do anything, God, I pray that we would be encouraged. For your burden is easy and your yoke is light. God, move in this body. Bring us to our knees. Humble us. That you may flow through us. That we can glorify you in all that we do in our lives. Father, we thank you and we praise you this morning.